Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. I'm Guy Swarbrick and with me this week to discuss the 15th anniversary of the Mito, we have Arock Racing League's commentator and sim racing columnist Reeve Taylor, club manager Nick Wright and Mito registrar David Faithful. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Cool. So uh, we're obviously here to talk about Mitos today. We're going to talk a little bit about the 15th anniversary event that ran at Kerbera a couple of weeks ago now. But I thought I'd just start, David, just with a little bit of background in terms of why we're celebrating the 15th anniversary, why the Mito has such a, an important place in, in Alpha's history, particularly with the, the younger members of the club. Yeah, I mean, I think the Mito came at a a really opportune moment for Alfa Romeo. It was not a, a by luck or by coincidence. Obviously, Fiat and GM had developed the uh, small common platform. And so what Alfa wanted to do was have something uh, it could launch using that investment on the platform. And it was an incredibly, you know, fortuitous moment for Alfa where, you know, frankly, the finances were in the doldrums. And we had to launch something that was... I'll describe it as mass market. I mean, I don't think the Mito will ever be recognized in history as the biggest seller of automobiles. However, it did sell over a quarter of a million of them. Uh, and I think what Alpha were trying to do was not necessarily recreate the Alpha Sud or the Alpha Sud moment, but find a car that would appeal to the masses that was affordable, still had the Alfa Romeo DNA within it, and frankly, attract a younger audience. And so all of those things came together with the launch of the Mito in 2008. And sales were very, very strong for the first few years. You know, it was a good turnaround model for Alfa. It was well-received. It was well-reviewed, largely. And it was, you know, pretty affordable. And Fiat backed it up under the FCA ownership with really good finance deals. So younger Alfisti could walk into an Alfa Romeo dealer with £750 and walk out with a brand new Mito. And that was deliberate. It was deliberately marketed at younger, cooler people. It was deliberately financed in a way that younger people could afford it. And yeah, the sales went really, really well for the first few years. It was a very popular small car made by Alfa using the small common platform they developed with GM. So they did get a lot of benefits in, in 2008, 9, 10 from the launch of the Mito. And you say it was a departure and you know, car segments change over time and generally cars get bigger. But I think it really was, there was nothing at that segment of the market since the Sud because the 33 had got bigger and then you had a long period where 145, 146 were, were the entry-level car. Even 147 is is arguably a, a full class bigger than than the Mito. So it, it was untested territory in a way, wasn't it? It was it was nearly 30 years since they'd been in that space. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what was untested, so under SCA, when Marchioni took over, obviously Fiat was the brand for the small cars. So within the group, and certainly within mainland Europe, small cars were not untested under the Fiat brand. What was untested was, is there a market for a slightly more upmarket, slightly sportier, small car with a brand with heritage and, and sporting history that would appeal to not the masses, but more of a mass than Alpha typically had. So from that perspective, certainly it was untried territory. But I think there was there was a level of confidence within the FCA group that 
they did know how to manufacture, market, and sell small cars, albeit under the Fiat brand. You talked about the, the shared platform and how opportune it was that that platform was available to Alpha. For those of us who are not Mito experts, and, and I hadn't even driven one until a couple of weeks ago, what are the key differences between the way Alpha used the platform and, and say, a, a Corsa or a Grande Punto? So I think if you think about the platform itself, it's a modular design. It has McPherson struts. It is a, broadly speaking, a chassis. The standard small common platform that was was that interchangeable set of components were almost all interchanged by Alfa Romeo. So whilst the chassis itself and the core component of the small platform remained in the Mito, almost everything else was changed. So from the suspension through to the engines, through to bodywork, interior, even the uh, HVACs, the heating, ventilation and, and uh, cooling systems, all the electronics were changed. So there, so there was a there was almost a reinvention of the small car by Alpha. But the one thing that they did, which was both for a cost saving and economies, but also to save on their parts, management, maintenance and ordering was still try and build in the commonality. So you know, the, the heating and ventilation system is completely unique to the Mito, but it's kind of made with a load of parts that you can find in the Punto or a Fiat 500 or a Jeep Renegade. So what Alfa Romeo did was put their own watermark, if you will, on almost everything to do with the Mito, except for chassis members, core components underneath the body. Everything from, you know, chassis legs up is kind of pure Alfa Romeo, but I will confess you will find a lot in there that was, you know, straight out the parts bin from a Punto or was a shareable uh, part that ended up on a Jeep Renegade. What you won't find necessarily is uh, there was again another big departure where Vauxhall adopted under the GM brand elements of the small platform. They did their own reinvention as well. So there's an odd selection where you'll find part A will fit a Corsa D and a Mito, but part B will only fit a Punto or a Jeep Renegade. It's a bit of a mix and match. So it's hard to, you know, people will say, oh, it's just a Fiat Punto. Well, yeah, the underpinning chassis is, and there are loads of parts which are shared, but good luck working out which is which versus a Corsa or a, uh, God forbid, a Peugeot Bipper where the chassis was also used. So it was a well-used platform. There's a lot of shared parts, but they were all sort of implemented in their own unique ways by each of the brands and each of the models of cars. So it's both beneficial if you want to find a part cheaply, but also hard as hell to find where that part is and which cars it applied to. And of course, that that platform's still around. In fact, there's one one sitting on my drive. The the small, wide four by four long wheelbase version of the of the same platform is still still being churned out at Pomigliano. So it's uh, it's yeah, certainly look, I mean, look, been very versatile chassis. Yeah, I think I think they've got their return on investment from cars within Fiat, Jeep, Alfa, Vauxhall, Peugeot, Citroen. There's a lot of vehicles that have that same underlying platform. That does not mean you can go and buy a part for a Peugeot Bipper and it'll fit on a meter or vice versa. But there is common and shared platform use uh, across what used to be GM, what used to be FCA and other companies as well, where they license the use of the core platform. We'll bring the other two guys in in a minute. Just the last thing I want to talk to you about is we talked about mechanically how similar or otherwise it is with other cars. Aesthetically, though, it has uh, its roots are in a very different bit of, of not platform sharing, but styling sharing. Yeah, I think the, the Mito has so many unique features 
And it is almost as if Marchioni and uh, Diaz, who designed it, and and others in uh, Centro Steel were basically throwing every idea they could feasibly come up with at this small car and seeing if it stuck. I think where we ended up with, though, was a, a really good compromise because there's elements of Alfa Romeo 8C in it. It doesn't surprise me because, you know, it was the same design team who led on the uh, exterior and interior of the 8C. So you'll, you'll see common features of the interior, the dash, even the door cards have got in you know really close similarities to the 8C. The flared wheel arches, the rear lights, even the front design, the low windows, and obviously being a two-door, that's very important. Um, but if you look at a, an 8C and you look at a Mito, you'll find about 20 similarities in core design concepts. And as I say, they sort of threw every idea that they had to try and make the Mito a unique car that would both appeal and have that, that Alpha DNA, that Alpha heritage, the styling that you could link back into uh, cars of the past from Alfa Romeo. On the interior, the 8C has quite a unique interior and it was exactly the same team who designed the Mito interior, the same ladies who led on the materials and the design of both the plastics and the carpeting and the leather interior and the cloth interior. It's the same team who did the 8C. So, you know, I know it's comical to try and compare an 8C to a Mito, but if you park a Mito next to an 8C and you sit in one and sit in the other, you will find dozens of really close similarities to the car. And it's just because it was the same people who did an 8C as the same people who did a Mito. There are some really cool features in there that you simply won't find in uh, in any other car that used that shared platform. And arguably more Afromeo components in a Mito than an 8C. Well, I mean, there's there, there are certainly some <laughs> Maserati bits in an 8C, but there are certainly some Fiat bits in a Mito. So uh, I think it's reminiscent of its era, you know, in the, in, the, in the late 90s and 2000s, you know, there was a lot of parts been sharing and you will find bits in a Mito that I, I still see today in a Renegade. I, I mean, I hired a van, I don't know, six or eight months ago, a Peugeot van, and there was a number of bits in it that were exactly, and I knew I could pinch them off that hired van and stick <laughs> it in my Mito parts bin. So, I mean, they have been, they weren't, you know, backward in in, in sharing parts and diving into the bin. However, I do, I still believe, I know I'm biased, but I still believe the Mito is largely holding up. You know, it still looks like a cool design. It, it hasn't dated. The interior hasn't really dated. I still think it's a really good car. It is of its time, you know, but it stands up really well today against even, even the most modern of cars. Yeah. Well, we'll come back and talk about your Mito ownership history later if we have time, but we've only got about 35, 40 minutes, so we, we may not be able to squeeze all of it in. I just wanted to to move to Reeve, because in, in many ways you're you're the audience that the the Mito was was designed for. So I guess the the first question is is what have you got now? What did you have before and, and why did you end up with a Mito? Yeah, I suppose I am sort of the target audience, although year by year I'm slowly drifting away from that, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, at the moment I've got a Mito QV that follows on from uh, a Veloce, and uh, yeah, the little Veloce. It was it was my first car, uh, which I suppose many younger people at the moment are looking at the used market, and that is the what they're looking for. And one of the things that appealed to me the most, I think, was low insurance rates. That was initially what caught my eye. I thought here's a cheap way to get into a lovely looking car with plenty of plenty of toys on it. So that's how I ended up with my Veloce. But yeah, at the moment, it's a 2012 Mito QV with the cell belt seats. Uh, it's a lovely little thing. And there, there's been a bit of a difference in um, in ownership experience between the two, I think, isn't there? 
There has, yes. My first, uh, I looked after it as best I could, but it already being a, a slightly older example of a 95 horsepower 1.4, it, it, it already lived a difficult life. Uh, so by the time I got rid of it, it was on its third gearbox, had a full suspension rebuild. The engine had been torn down once and uh, countless other things as well. Uh, it didn't put me off Mitos. Of course, I go straight into getting the QV next, mainly because I had a more beefy gearbox, as I think what I, to- I told my parents. <laughs> there you go. It's got the stronger gearbox. It'll be much more reliable. Uh, and yeah, that's been great so far, actually. Completely different ownership experience, as you say. Yeah. And apart from the um, 10 mil socket that's r- rattling around in the boot, what what is it that you um, you particularly like about the meter? Yes, yeah, so that 10 mil socket, actually, I believe it was from when I was working on my Beamer, not on my Alpha, but that is, uh, <laughs> as, as you found out when you took it out on track at Kerbera, uh, that has, uh, uh, yeah, it's still rattling around there. Uh, but yeah, I'd say favourite things about it, uh, well, first of all, I've got to start with the star belts. It's, uh, they're, they're a real real party piece, and um, there aren't too many uh, too many others out there in Rossa 148A. It's a, it's a lovely little colour. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, and the power as well. Just that little 1.4170 multi-air engine is an absolutely fantastic unit. It pulls so strong. And we, we've talked about the Kerber event a couple of times, and there'll be a feature on that in the August issue of the magazine. But there is a real community around the Mito as well, isn't there? There is, and it's a fantastic community as well. They are a lovely bunch of people always coming to events like Kerber, National Alpha Day as well. You know, you can whenever you're at National Alpha Day, you always see just hordes of Mitos. And I think we're seeing more and more each year as the car becomes perhaps a little bit more collectible as it ages. But yeah, a very helpful community indeed. You know, you can always jump on the meter register forum and and say, hey, what's going on with this? Not sure what this issue is, or just post a nice picture, and you always get the same lovely, happy response. It's very nice. Yeah, and I guess the it's in that period of of ownership, isn't it? Where I guess early on, a lot of the people who bought them just bought it as a car. It, they weren't particularly enthusiasts, but the the ones that are now you know, still around and still actively being driven and and uh, improved and maintained are more likely to be owned by a potential club member than than the average Mito in the past. Yeah, and hopefully that means in the future we start seeing more and more alpha waves as as, as driving about in Mitos. <laughs> yeah, or, or from Mito owners, I think is the is the yeah, good point. A, a, alleged complaint on the uh, on the Facebook groups. Although it's it's not been my experience, I have to say. I uh, the the lack of response I get seems to be fairly widespread across multiple models. I think the other thing that I've always been aware of, although it was brought home to me even more at Kerbera, is the the breadth of the breadth of models that were available during the car's lifetime, but also the the range of of modifications and and things people have have done to their Mitos. So, any particular favourites from from the Mitos you've seen? Anything you think either? Oh, I'd like that Mito, or that's the next thing I'm going to do to mine. I think if I was to really save some pennies. Away, I think the absolute best modification I, I'd, I'd probably look to do is, is something like a new turbo turbo upgrade, something like that. I think it's a it's a really strong that 1.4 engine is a very strong platform for taking modification while upping the power, that sort of thing. Usually, I'm not too heavy on the modification side. I like to do a little bit here or there, just to kind of improve the car lightly or to change about the character of the car ever so slightly. But we've seen, as you say, plenty of modifications done from anything on a twinner all the way up to a Nurburgring spec car with a roll cage and and bucket seats, which, uh, as, as you you found out, was hilarious fun. Um, it, it was hilarious fun. I'm not sure it was the the perfect first Mito to go in to get a a sense of what the Mito uh, driving experience is like, but it was it was awesome. No, I suppose not. It's a very different animal to say my old Veloce, for example. But yeah, mine has had 
just kind of little little bits like a set of forged subframe brace to Im- improve kind of front end feel. The, the factory ones aren't the strongest items. It's had a uh, polybush lower engine mount, an exhaust, a uh, panel air filter, and a blue spark tuning module. So just little bits here or there just to kind of improve upon the car as it gets a little bit older. Brilliant. Now, I, I said you're the target market, and I'm, I'm going to have to be very careful how I now introduce Nick. Um, <laughs> For, the, for those of you listening on audio, which is all of you, um, I've just had a very accus- accusatory finger pointed at me by Mr. Wright. So the, the beauty of our club is we have some, uh, we have a very, very wide age range. And so we're not going to the opposite end of the scale. Nick's probably somewhere in the middle of the age range. Um, I, I guess the interesting thing to me, Nick, is you went to the Mito from a very different car going from a, a 159 V6 Q4. So what, what was the logic behind moving to the Mito? Um, I'm not sure there was any logic involved in it, actually. Um, it's, it started uh, 2020 when uh, my wife decided we should get a 916 Spider, which we got comically like a week before the first lockdown came. So that was parked in the garage with the 159, and she had a, a shopping car as well. And, uh, I just realised over the, over the lockdowns, A, how much the 159 was costing to tax um, and run, and we didn't need a car that size anymore, and we liked the Spider, so I um, decided to sell the 159 and her, her shopping car and get a Mito, because that would fit in perfectly with what we, our needs now, really. So I'd, I'd driven one sort of when they first came out and really liked, liked them. So, yeah, that was the beginning of it. So And which one did you end up with? I've got 2011 Quadrifolio hey. in red one, which I bought from um, the guy who turned out he was a chief design engineer for the Mercedes F1 team. Interesting. So he'd he'd um, mechanically been really looked after, but I don't think he'd washed it in his life. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it does need some attention to the uh, the paintwork and, uh, should, and things. But, uh, you should get Mr. Murphy to have a look at it. Sorry, Griffiths. Griffiths. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and presumably, well, no, it's a big assumption, but given his background, is it um, is it modified or is it as it came from the factory more or less? It's yeah, it's from the factory virtually. So I'd put a blue spark tuning box on it as well. So it would be an extra oomph. And uh, but um, yeah, it's good. So one of the the main differences between that and the one five nine is I can now go somewhere and get home on a tank of fuel, <laughs> which is yeah. And and given the given that it replaced your wife's shopping car and that your wife was pushing for the the nine one six Spider, how much do you get to drive the Mito versus the Spider and? Uh, enough, yeah. I drive the meter quite a lot still, yeah. Definitely, definitely. So I'm beginning to sound like um, Clive Myrie on his Italian trip now that I'm mentioning <laughs> my wife all the time. <laughs> and so how are you how are you finding the ownership experience so far? And and I guess the, the community as well. Um yes, the ownership I I really enjoy. Um the community I think is good, but I think within all the club registers is a, a good camaraderie anyway, to be fair. Um I do and speak to members, I do you know, they say to me, oh, I've only got a Mito. And I ask them, so I've only got a Mito. So don't say that. I've, I've got one. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and they're quite surprised that the club manager drives a Mito, which is which is good. So, well, that's because they've only ever seen you in a van. This is true, yeah. This is true. Um, I was in the, my local garage filling the van up, actually, a few weeks ago. And the, the guy looks at it. He says, oh, do you work for Alfa Romeo? So I said, no, the owner's club. So he's, he says, oh, I've got a Mito, he said. <laughs> and they said, and he starts telling me all about his car and everything. There's just like queues of people behind, and I can't, I can't get out. <laughs> yeah, but you, but you yeah, left. You left the queue questions. behind. You got out, gave him a membership form. Absolutely, signed him up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I've asked you both about the the community, and I think it's 
it's only fair to embarrass David by pointing out what a, a huge part he's been in that community. And, uh, you know, Nick, you said that there's there's a camaraderie and a, a kind of sense of belonging about many of the um, the registers and, and model ownership. Uh, but I don't think there are many registers that are as active and as as well supported as as the Mito one. Um, so I think um, David deserves a lot of credit for that. And I, I think probably we do just about have enough time to go back and talk about his car. So, so David, what, what was your what was your first Mito and how did that come about? Well, despite what you may think, I haven't I haven't owned or presently own as many Mitos as people do think. So that I mean if I go back to uh 2009 was the first time I drove a Mito, which was I test drove a Mito at uh, Meridian Alpha was it in Bournemouth who used to be who used to be the only dealer in the area kind of. And I thought these I thought this Mito was fabulous. So that was a 155 red press car. I did fall in love with it. I do regret not buying one, but at the time I had gangly teenage kids and it, I don't know, it just didn't quite fit. So the next time was years later, which was only about, I can't remember, actually 2015 or 16, something like that, when I bought a grey Mito Quadrifoglio, uh, which is a 2012 plate. And I bought it from a dealer in uh, Edinburgh and had to go and fetch it from Edinburgh. It was a mint one owner, uh, hardly used car, which turned out to not be as mint as you might imagine because it lived quite near the coast in Edinburgh and it had quite a bit of salt underneath. So it had a, had a lot of work underneath. So that grey... It was a mint mint crisp. Yes, yes, exactly right. <laughs> um, so that grey one is what you'll see a lot of photos of these days because that we turned that into a racing car. So that's the Scuderia Mito. So car. you went to Edinburgh to buy that car, brought it back to Bournemouth and then took it back to Fife to have it turned into a race car. Exactly right. Yeah, it has, okay. I mean, it's travelled a bit, that one. And it, and it can't decide if it's Scottish or English, to be fair, so um, or Italian. So that is a modified car. Um, that does have a hybrid uh, GT1446 turbo. It has KW version 3 uh, springs and dampers. It's got Powerflex black bushes throughout, custom exhaust, custom cooling with uh, what Davy Petty, who built the car, calls his Twinter coolers. So it has two front intercoolers instead of instead of uh, one. Very highly tuned Tarox discs and pads all around. You know this thing is is and it's obviously got roll cage and uh, racing seats, harnesses, and so on. So that's a proper track only use car, which I still own. I did buy a brand new facelift Mito Veloce, which was white, and that was an outstanding car. And then I very foolishly. Artex that in for a Julia, which I've now about got. a week after recorded a podcast where you said that no real alphas had four doors. Uh yeah. I I, I mean, look, the Julia is a fabulous <laughs> car. It does have rear doors, which is pr- practically its only uh, flaw. But yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I love the Julia, but I had to go back to having a Mito as a dahlia. The Julia just wasn't for me. I'm Mito through and through. I replaced that with a uh, 2017 Mito Collezioni, which is 140 bhp, and I chose that. A, it was a one-owner car with less than 10,000 miles, but B, and mainly the Collezioni is the only Mito really that's substantially different inside than every other Mito you can buy. It's got a different dash, it has different seats, different door cards. There's no carbon fibre in there, which most Mitos have. So it's just something a bit different and something a bit... Uh, after a few Mitos, it sort of... Uh, it was the thing that I wanted. In between all of that happening, I bought a um, a 2008 press car. There's basically... There were 22 
Mito is registered before the launch of the Mito. And they were registered around Christmas or the first week of January 2009. And they were the Alpha Press Car fleet. So I bought one of those and then spent a lot of time and money restoring the thing. So yeah, I mean, they're the cars that I have. So I still have the race car. I still have the Coleccioni. My brother drives around in the press car and I traded in the white one. But I do know who has the white one. He's a club member in the East Midlands. He's got my number and he knows who to call when he wants to part with it. So I haven't had you know, dozens and dozens of Mitos. I mean, if I had the space, I would have. I am currently on the lookout for a little Mito. I'm on the lookout for two, actually. I'm on the lookout for a diesel because my commuting miles has become a bit a bit extended recently. And I test drove James Fernley's diesel at Kerbera and I thought it was pretty special, actually. That would suit me down to the ground for my commuting. So I'm on the lookout for a diesel. I'm also on the lookout for a heavily front-damaged Mito because I want to cut it in half and make a, make a trailer. So a trailer with the back end of a Mito. But I would never kill a Mito unless it was beyond repair. So I need one that's heavily smashed at the front and mint condition at the rear. And then I will turn into trailer. So yes, I am always on the lookout for Mitos. I do not rule out buying another one. I could squeeze in one more. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's awkward because when you've driven a lot, when you know quite a bit about them, you, you become quite selective, actually. And for me, it's not really about the speed or the performance or the tuning or modification. It's about how rare they are, how unique they are, how few there are. So, you know, there's some in Europe. There's a Maserati edition that's rarer than hen's teeth. There is a uh, Imola edition in Japan, which is a, a, a special edition. There's only a few hundred of those, and they, they were only for the Japanese market. So it might be one of those that I actively try and seek out rather than just another UK Mito, as it were. But we'll see. At least the Imola would have the steering wheel on the correct side. Yes, it would. Yeah. There's also... And Obviously, sorry, just to, sorry, you're starting me off now. The SBK <laughs> edition, obviously, was a very rare car and right-hand drive and, and launched in the UK, so that is rare. But there are other SBK editions in Europe with a variety of engines, which are even rarer than the, the true SBK. The SBK, the Superbike edition, they took a QV and made it pretty special. But they did these sort of cut-down SBK editions in the German-Italian uh, French and Dutch markets where they were basically a 1.3 diesel with SBK stickers on and some jazzy interiors. They did a 1.4 version and um, they did a 1.6 diesel version as well. So one of those is incredibly rare and no one in the UK will have seen one because they're both A, rare and B, mostly in Germany. So yeah, I think for my next one, I, I'm shopping for a diesel for my commute, but I'm also always shopping for that thing that's really rare that nobody else in the UK has. Has, and that might be what I do next. Okay. We are getting to that point, I guess, um, where we've seen the 156 and, and 147 get over the last couple of years, where bills are, are potentially becoming you know, a significant proportion of the of the value of the vehicle. So we're at the 15th anniversary. Where do you think we'll be when we get to the 20th anniversary? I think... As you've rightly spotted, things are going to get tougher. If I look back over the last five or six years that I've been the registrar, I'm always watching how many vehicles get scrapped each year. So you'll see the DVA data. We started at about 24,000 metos on the road. I think we're now at about 21,000, but, but the rate of reduction is increasing each year. 
So in the next five and certainly 10 years, I think we'll be down to 10 or 12,000 metos on the road. That's my fear. And what I'm really keen to do, and I know people look at the meto differently at shows than they do in Alphasud, but I think I'm convinced in 30, 40 years, the meto will be as popular and as rare and as as uh, besotted over as Alphasuds. There'll just be a different type of market for them. And I do accept it's hard to understand or believe that today. I get that. So I think over the next five years, up to the 20th, we're going to lose some. But what we'll also find, and we're seeing it in the the communities we've built, is there becomes more and more people who have a Mito and stick with the Mito. And I've seen that change over the communities of the last five years. That We still have a high proportion of people who come and go. They'll buy a Mito, they'll run it for six months, then they buy a... BMW or a Cupra or whatever it is. The Mito is a sort of a car that that particularly younger people can have on their journey of car ownership, and that's fine. But there's a lot of us who are buying a Mito and becoming addicted and fixated and sticking with them. And, and the age range of those people is vast. They do range from 17, 18-year-olds up to 75, 80-year-olds who absolutely adore the Mito, will stick with it, will cherish it, and, and will stick over time save mitos so i think it's it's probably a bit of a mixed bag it's it's kind of swings and roundabouts we'll lose a lot of mitos which of course um i find um very upsetting but we're also building you know a broad community who love them will stick with them will acquire them over time will be the people who restore them in years to come and 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 what's really positive is seeing younger people doing that younger you know we went to kerbera uh, for the 15th anniversary yeah, there was five or seven of us who are over the age of 40, let's politely put it. <laughs> but almost everybody was under the age of 30. And I think some of those youngsters will become like us, where they love the Mito and stick with it. They'll introduce their kids in time. You know, I, I can see that what we're trying to do is be more proactive about building the Mito community, which I wish we could have done with the Sud community 30 years ago. The suds all just rotted away. People moved on, sold them, scrapped them. And now we regret doing that. And now we're trying to form a community around alpha suds and sprints, but we're doing it from a very small number of cars. I think if we can get in there and deliberately take actions to do that, you know, build that community, build that love for the Mito now, while there's still 20,000 of them in five years, 10 years, 20 years, when there obviously will be less, the community will be substantially larger sooner than we did for the SUD. And I think that's a really positive thing. So just to, to finish off, Reeve, you, you're on your second. What what do you see as your Mito future? My Mito future, if there's one thing that is certain, I think it is I'm definitely, I'm very much in that loyalist category now. I think I'll, there'll always be a space for a Mito on the drive. There's there's nothing I've found elsewhere that offers, you know, the excitement in, you know, just I mean, think back, you know, 15 years ago when the car came out, DNA switch, adaptive suspension, multi-air technology. It's an exciting thing, the meter. And I think this one that I've got now, it's now, I bought it on 76,000 miles, around 94,000 miles in 18 months. It has been utterly reliable, original multi-air unit, serviced well. So I'm thinking, stay with this one. It'll be a rare thing to try and replace in its current specification. If there aren't any more Mitos, and I hope that there are, at least this one will always have a space on my driveway. And your your adaptive suspension currently adapted to be in the optimum position all the time. More, unfortunately, more than the optimum position because um, so it did have its 
it's small adaptive suspension niggles, which, you know, many, many Mito QVs or Cloverleafs tend to. So I uh, resorted to splicing the wiring and, and deleting the system with a proxy alignment. So that has forced all the dampers into not just dynamic mode, but maximum rate on every corner, <laughs> which it would rarely ever go into. So it, it has it has given it a performance edge, shall we say. It, it, it did work well at Kerbera. It did. It was absolutely brilliant at Kerbera. It was... Kerber, I thought, and uh, thank you, David, for all, for organising it. It was the perfect track and car combination. I thought it was a great place to push a meter. And Nick, your your meter future? I think it's here to stay as well. To be honest, yes. It's taken me this long to get one, but uh, it suits our needs perfectly these days. So I still I struggle to got four doors, but they just split over two cars now, aren't they? That's all. <laughs> I have to admit, I having driven quite a range, everything from a a Nurburgring track day car to a a twin air at Kerber a couple of weeks ago. It, it really made an impression on me. It is a, a really, really fun car to drive to the point where, I don't know if you, you guys noticed, but Peter Pringle is currently selling a hill climb spec Mito Cloverleaf. And I, I did ask, my son used to have a lockup that he kept his track day car in. And I did kind of um, ping him last night and I asked whether that lockup had been taken by somebody else or was still available because I haven't got room on the drive for a, a hill climb car, but it did did look an appealing option so maybe maybe i'll be part of the the clan at some point i guess is the, the, anything that you would have liked to have seen any any of the three of you in the Mito range that wasn't there and i know there was a, a lot of stuff there but i'm thinking particularly of the of the one that got away the the gta that appeared at the motor show and then never happened well i mean the gta was one of those um fabulous concepts that absolutely should have made it and i think if if that similar concept was available in the last two or three years, Alpha probably would have done it. You can see what they're doing with the Halo cars at the moment. But back then, it was at a time, I mean, when was that? It was 2010, wasn't it? And the financial crash had just started to bite and everybody was completely skinned and every corporation was thinking what the hell's going on with the world finances and so on. So it just didn't, it, it couldn't live because it was too big an investment, too big a risk at a time when the financial crash had occurred or was a mid occurring and and there was it was just seen as too big a risk i think which i do think is a is an enormous shame you put that 1.75 tbi in a meto it's going to be fast and it's going to be a brilliant car the, clo- the closest we got to it was um was jamie porter's meto 404 with a, a two liter version long stroke version of the of the 1750 tbi which is is a beast yeah, I mean, look, we are ignoring the fact that probably Alpha couldn't get the damn electronics to work putting that TBI in a meter. <laughs> I know on our race car, as soon as you start mucking about with the ECU, you've knackered yourself for, for three months. So, I mean, it could be that, but I, but I suspect it was the financial markets and level of risk willing to be taken by FCA, which, which yeah, it's a shame. I'll tell you what, what else would have been nice, though, was some of those special editions that they they limited to individual countries i think they would have sold well and i think they would have given them a you know a good uh, market in other in other european and and international markets as well there's two or three versions in japan that are fabulous looking mitos and and they could have sold really well in europe and again you'll you see in australia you remember the sbks were used as uh, safety cars on tracks well they did a red version an absolute mirror image of the sbk safety cars and they launched it in australia for about six months 
and uh, it didn't sell very well. But you put an SB, you know, red stick it up SBK safety car variant in mainland Europe or the UK. Blimey, I think that would have sold well. So I think they sort of got to a point with the sales of the Mito. They massively wrapped ramped up really quickly for a two or three year period and then they started massively ramping down and alpha were too slow with facelifting it or bringing it up to date with competing technologies in in audis and and other brands they missed a trick there but i think it was just a combination of of things the broader fca financials and so on but i think they what they could have done was plug some of those declining sales gaps with more special editions they didn't really do that and that's been a bit of a history thing with with all alphas you always launch you know the last minute special editions to shift stock and so on they didn't really do that with the meter and i think that was a missed opportunity so reeve you said you're going to hang on to yours you know for the foreseeable future but is there a is there a dream Mito that you would have either alongside or instead? I think if I was to pick any Mito variant out of any, it would be the aforementioned Mito, Maser- Mito from Maserati. I think that is a, a special looking car on that blue Oceano. But I almost feel, I feel like I've already got my dream Mito, to be honest. I'm quite happy with it. I think uh, if, if there is ever a forever car, I think it could be that one. But going on to what we were saying then about maybe if, if a Mito could have existed, maybe early on in the in the model range it would have been you know slightly again a little bit off with ECUs maybe a twin spark variant you know that nice little revy because one of the things I loved about my Veloce was just how, how kind of revy and and happy that engine seemed or maybe if they decided to if FCA had found room for it in the lineup had decided to invest a little bit give it a serious facelift around when they restyled it maybe see that one liter firefly engine in it just try and modernize it and keep it going for a couple more years just like the Julietta did yeah you can definitely fit space wise a 1.9 diesel under a Mito bonnet that yes would, that would have been talky and fun I'll tell you mm, there's someone well, in would, the, would have been talky anyway <laughs> There's someone in the register or one of the owners groups who has actually two litre JTDM swapped their old 1.6 and fitted a hybrid turbo. So I imagine uh, that can uh, certainly move down the motorway. Yeah, it's interesting. I said I wasn't going to talk too much about the Kerber cars that I drove because we're going to talk about them in the magazine. But what was interesting about the Twin Air was you were very conscious of the how balanced it was, the lack of weight at the front compared to most of the others I drove. So I'd be, in, I, I, I'd be quite interested to drive a 2-litre JTDM-powered Mito because I suspect that would be... Um, Wouldn't be heavy at the front the, at all, would it? No, it would have <laughs> poten- potential to do a good impression of a pendulum, I would have thought. Nick, dream Mito, or is it the one you've got? I've, I mean, the GTA, there's always a, an argument, whichever model Alpha do, is that everyone obviously there should be a sport wagon or a GTA, shouldn't they, so... But um, I think the one I've got, I'd love it. I just want to spend a bit of money on and get the paintwork done and stuff. So, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm one. surprised, given the the relatively low prices of some of the earlier um, Giuliettas now, that, that there aren't more engine swapped Mitos with the 1750. It would be uh, because it is a cracking engine. Um, as you say, David, the ECUs are a challenge on any engine swap these days. It's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. And as I said, there'll be, uh, I think David's reporting on his um, his newfound love for the diesel in the uh, the Mito column in the, the registered section of the magazine. And he and I will have a few things to say about the anniversary and uh, the day at Kerbera in the main part of the magazine as well. So uh, got that to look forward to in a couple of weeks and another podcast in a month or so. Uh, other than that, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week. The next episode of the podcast will be in a month's time on August the 6th when we'll be previewing National Alpha Day. Episode 83 will be available to download from Podbean, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podcast Addict and everywhere else good podcasts are found. 
Until then, stay safe. 